We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The score! score! Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive, massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late. I was talking to Robert Kraft. Pro Football Talk. I wouldn't listen to some of those people out there, especially guys like Mike Florio. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This hour is brought to you by Mastectomy Clinics of Chicago, and it's time to talk to Mike Florio, who is on Twitter at Pro Football Talk and with us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports books. So, the post Super Bowl refractory period is upon us, Mike, and I think we are fortunately left with a, a celebration of somebody who, in a mere five years, is on track to be an all time. Sporting great in Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you know, we had the conversation last week on PFT Live about Deion Sanders' suggestion that there should be an upper room at the Hall of Fame. It was something that I really focused on after Tom Brady retired because it feels like certain players should have a higher level of recognition in Canton. And even with five years, I would think Patrick Mahomes would have a strong case to be included in that upper room if there ever was one. Two Super Bowls. Five AFC Championship games, all at Kansas City, three Super Bowl appearances, and plays the sport in a way that I don't think it's ever been played before and will influence a generation of kids to try to play football differently with the bad body positioning, the funny arm angles, playing quarterback like a shortstop, transforming the game the way Michael Jordan did. And I think that's the dotted line from Jordan to Mahomes, a guy who changes the way the game is played, and we will see the fruits of it in the coming years as more and more young kids get older and older, and the ones who have the God-given ability pushing the limits of it, developing those skills, and getting to a point where they're playing quarterback at a high level, looking more like Mahomes than like the quarterbacks we're used to seeing. I do think that we don't make enough of the five straight AFC title games. It's easy to say when you're talking about the current Super Bowl champion, but that's something that we almost all got used to. It was commonplace, and it was quite obviously not that. It was a record, and it just speaks again to the consistency that this team has held and how we, we just got used to it in a way. And if D. Ford doesn't jump offside in the 2018 AFC championship, maybe it's another Super Bowl appearance. And frankly... I think back to 2017, before we knew what Patrick Mahomes was going to be, Travis Kelsey was on our 
morning show PFT Live back then, and he was talking about the incredible things Mahomes was doing in practice. He had a play in the preseason against the Titans that made me sit forward in my chair and say, holy cow. If they had benched Alex Smith when the offense was struggling that year and put Mahomes in, who knows what would have happened if he was truly ready. And to Andy Reid's credit, man of his word, gave Alex Smith the full season, didn't push him to the side until the season ended. But we could be looking at six straight AFC championship games. We could be looking at more than three Super Bowl appearances, and it just makes me wonder about the future, especially as Mahomes inches toward the portion of his career where his physical abilities will be married up with an intellect based upon all the things he's seen, all the reps, all the defenses, all the times walking up to the line of scrimmage. You get to a point where you're basically an offensive coordinator on the field, usually in your 30s. He's still 27. He's going to hit that at some point, and he's going to be even better than the guy we've seen. I think there's also some truths exposed to about their offense and how good the marriage is with the coaching staff and with Mahomes and Kelsey, frankly, when you can stand to lose Tyreek Hill the way they, they did and still come away with the Super Bowl title. And I think that that, that Tyreek Hill departure helped them in a variety of ways. Number one, Patrick Mahomes no longer has that temptation, that reality of Tyreek Hill running around and inevitably springing open 60 yards down the field and Mahomes can throw a rainbow missile to him. He doesn't have to do that anymore. He's not inclined to do that anymore. He just throws to the open receiver now. And I also think when it comes to motivation, teams take plenty of, of nudging from the things that we say, the things that opponents say. But Tyreek Hill wanting out, Tyreek Hill unhappy with his targets and catches, even though he had career-high targets and receptions in 2021. I think he wanted to be Cooper Cup. I think he saw what Cup was doing, and he thought, I could be that if they would just throw me the ball more. You take that out of the mix, and then you have Tyreek Hill going on his own podcast and throwing darts back at Mahomes, saying Tua Tonga-Bailoa is more accurate than Mahomes. That's stuff that gets filed away. They take the high road. They don't say anything about it. I suspect if we could get Patrick Mahomes in a candid moment, he would have plenty to say about Tyreek Hill wanting out and about the things that Tyreek Hill said after he was out as part of this motivation to keep going and to find a way to climb that mountain again. It's always hard to do. Once you climb the mountain, you've got to come up with another motivation to climb the mountain again and climb the mountain again and climb the mountain again. Now his motivation, I think, is trying to get to seven and maybe beyond seven, because Tom Brady's out there with the hay in the barn at seven unless he comes back. Mahomes is going to try to catch that, and I'm not going to bet against him at this stage of his career. You know what I'm happy about, Mike? The fact that the defensive holding call at the end and how unfortunate it was that it mattered so much isn't it didn't become a multi-day story where people are like, well, we got to change the rule and this this back judge should be calling this instead of this. I know there were some people grumbling about it, but I'm, I'm very pleased that Bradbury said what he said and that cooler heads understand that you have to allow referees to call what they see. And this is this is the sport that we watch. And sometimes these fouls are going to come at, at, at times that are bad for drama. Well, that's right. And look, I think that the complaints that we heard in the aftermath of that game were driven primarily by people who wanted to witness a more memorable finish than the one that we got, who wanted to see a field goal be attempted there so the Eagles would get the ball back with a couple of minutes to play and have a chance to do what the Steelers did in Super Bowl 43 against the Cardinals when they got the ball back after Larry Fitzgerald's 64-yard shot out of a cannon 
The Cardinals take the lead 23-20. The Steelers have a chance to go down tie with a field goal or win it with a touchdown. That's what, that's what we collectively would have wanted. But once that penalty was called and the Chiefs were in position to milk the clock, kick the field goal, leave the Eagles without enough time, it didn't happen. Bottom line is there was holding. Is it not called sometimes? Yes, it's not called sometimes. But think of how tight that player's jersey is. We see tugging on the undershirt from time to time. You'll see the material stretch away from the player, and it makes it clear there was holding. When you are able to actually pull the jersey at the torso level, that really tight jersey away from someone's body, you're applying real force. You're restricting the player. Those jerseys are basically sewn on to the player. That's how tight they are. So it was holding. He admitted it. The league should be very happy that Bradbury admitted it. He thought he would get away with it, and he didn't. No way, man. I'm the exact opposite on this. It wasn't called all game. Suddenly they decide to call it. It didn't change the trajectory of the path at all. He didn't even flinch when it came to whether or not he was actually grabbed. There was no recognition of it by his body, whether subliminally or actively. And if you're going to call that call, then do it from the beginning of the game. And I think it is still a story, just not here. You, you call it WIP in Philly. I think they're still talking about it. You assume that they saw it on other occasions and chose not to throw the flag. We don't know that they saw it and deliberately said, we're not going to flag it here. Usually we see it the other way around. When a postseason game, a Super Bowl is in crunch time, that's when the flag gets shoved deeper into the pocket, and that leads to this perception of inconsistency. But the bottom line is when the flag comes out, what can you really do if the guy says, I held? He says he held. And... And, and one thing that I think has gotten twisted up a little bit, because people have said, well, the pass wasn't catchable. It wasn't interference. It was holding. It was before the ball was in the air. That's a foul. You can't grab the guy. You can't hit him beyond five yards. You can't grab him and hold him and restrict him in any way. And I guess we could argue whether or not he was actually restricted. But Bradbury knew what he was doing. He just thought he was going to get away with it. It reminds me of what the Seahawks in 2013 did. They held all the time, and they dared the officials to call it, and they knew the officials wouldn't bog the game down by calling it, so they call it 10% of the time. Well, 90% of the time they got away with it. That, that's, I guess, good manipulation, active and creative manipulation of the rules, and Bradbury thought he was going to get lucky there. He made a calculation, and frankly, he'd have been better off, and the Eagles would have been better off if he hadn't held, if Smith-Schuster would have run to the end zone and caught a touchdown, because then they would at least have had a chance to go down and match it. Well, but Mike, I didn't mean to wade into this, but I'm going to a bit, just because we have talked about it so much. Working NFL referees is part of this game. We see it all the time with pass interference and the damning consequences that pass interference has when called and how that changes a game. And you're talking about the difference here as opposed to, say, basketball or as opposed to, say, baseball when you're arguing the strike zone is the minuscule difference in the, in the margin of error and how few games there are in football and how the price for these calls is so high, respectively. And it is something that is now coming down to nuance based on official, really, attitude. And, and this is the stuff that bothers me. This is, this is the Super Bowl. Be consistent. And, and it's just like lining up in the neutral zone. We're seeing that getting pushed more and more again. And this is something we have to discuss because it's not consistent across the board. These calls make such a difference, not just for us, for now the money on the table as well. 
but it's not just defensive holding. It's the left and right tackle who are leaving a split second early and getting into their pass block sets and having a better opportunity to keep defensive linemen from hitting the quarterback. It's the holding calls on offenses that aren't called because I think at some level the NFL wants to protect quarterbacks as much as possible because it knows that if quarterbacks are injured, the games become unwatchable. There's inconsistency across the board, and it just happens, and it's part of the randomness of it. It's part of the reality of it, and in that moment, the jersey pool was seen, the flag was thrown, and that was that. And if the Chiefs had been down seven in that spot, and it had been fourth down, and we had seen the jersey pulled away from the body, and Juju Smith-Schuster hadn't had a chance to go get the ball, I think people would have been very upset about that. I still think at the core, it's that collective desire to witness history, and we wanted a better finish than what we got. We wanted the Chiefs to have a fair chance to score, and the Eagles to have a fair chance to respond, and they didn't get one because of that holding penalty, and only because of that holding penalty, because it was going to be kick the field goal, and let's see what the Eagles can do with two minutes left. But Mike, it's also the fact that it's not just the NFL protecting quarterbacks. It's some referees protecting some quarterbacks. And I say that because you're part of this show in Chicago and we see Justin Fields have his health put into risk for unnecessary late hits that don't get called. And we've been seeing it. It's incredibly frustrating. I don't mean to vent on you right now, but, no, you, but, look, but we're seeing quarterbacks this. over the years. It happened with Cam Newton. Cam Newton had guys flying into him all the time, and he couldn't get calls. Mike Vick went through a stretch where he couldn't get calls. Remember the controversy? Somebody, I think, said to Cam Newton, was that Hockley early in his career, said you're not old enough to get that call? I mean, this is why, and I'm going to go off on a different tangent here, this is why they need to have full-time officials, because they need to gather in a neutral location where they all live, Kansas City, Dallas, wherever, and then they fan out to their respective game locations. They need to spend one or two full days per week in a room together, classroom setting, college style, going over all these plays and hammering into these guys what we're looking for, what's a foul, what's not a foul, the consistency we expect, the consistency we demand – It can't be something that's done on a part-time basis. It can't be an afterthought to someone's professional and personal life. It has to be their full full and sole professional focus. That is one way that we get to a point where there is greater consistency, whatever the call may be. That's one way to get there. And if guys have better jobs on the side, then that's a bias too because you're already prioritizing something that isn't the work in front of you. So I don't need them either. Well, you're absolutely right. So I agree. I agree. There's, All right. Here, here. Plenty of, plenty of issues that come from that one call. And the reality is there's always four or five plays over the course of a game that make a difference. And that one that happens in crunch time is the one that can change everything. And, and that's where we were. I'll, so. I'll, I'll learn my lesson that celebrating something not being a big deal can turn it into a big deal. <laughs> there's, there's rare occasions where Dan having a reasonable take is true. Right? But I am I am. Uh, Completely on the opposite end of this. And the Eagles got some calls, too. They were also bad. All right, who's, who is going to quarterback the Raiders, and whom is David Carr going to quarterback? The names to watch in Eric Las Vegas would be, in my view, people with connections to Josh McDaniels. Because he's going to want someone who knows his offense, who knows how the Patriot way coaches guys hard and forces them to deal with very aggressive coaching. I would look at Jimmy Garoppolo. 
I would look at Jared Stidham, who's already there, who is going to be a free agent. I would look at Baker Mayfield, a guy that Josh McDaniel secretly worked out before the 2018 draft. Mayfield didn't want to do it because he knew the Patriots were drafting too low to get him. And McDaniel's got to see what Mayfield can do on two days prep because the Raiders were the team on the wrong end of that two-touchdown performance in the fourth quarter by Mayfield and the Rams on a Thursday night. And also, what about Mac Jones? You know, Bill Belichick was asked after the season if Mac Jones is the starter next year, and what Belichick said was he's proven he can play in this league, not yes. So maybe a phone call gets made by the Raiders to the Patriots to try to get Mac Jones. Those are the guys I'd watch. I'd throw Jacoby Brissett in there, too, because he's got some experience in the Patriot way. And for Carr... I think the Saints, the Jets, the Panthers are the three teams to watch. The Panthers are the betting favorites, and they're not really being discussed. The fact that sports books are making them the betting favorites tells me that, as usual, the sports books have information that the rest of us don't. So keep an eye on the Panthers. I, I agree with you regarding the Panthers because they do need a quarterback. I also think Carr will succeed anywhere else because change of scenery benefits a guy like that. And I also want to throw out this name, Mike. Because he's on that weird smoking whatever in the middle of nowhere retreat, Aaron Rodgers. Well, I I tell you what, I think it would be great for our business if he ends up with the Raiders because I just don't see Aaron Rodgers and Josh McDaniels coexisting. I think it will be bad if it happens. I don't think Rodgers will take to the aggressive coaching. I don't think McDaniels will know how to modify his approach, and I think it will be a mess if it occurs. I think the Jets are more likely for Rodgers. I think the most likely is if he comes out of that four days of voluntary, solitary confinement, I think he stays in Green Bay if he plays at all. And I don't know why he wouldn't play because he's due to make nearly $60 million this year. I don't know. You'd, I, I would not need to be locked in a closet If someone was saying to me, we want you to do for one more year what you've been doing every year since 2005, and we're going to pay you $60 million, I don't need to be – I don't even need to turn the light off in my office to come to the decision there. So I don't know what this all is. What a shock, though. A guy who's used to getting a lot of attention looking for a little more attention. (laughs) Mike Florio, thanks as always. Appreciate it. All right. See you. It's Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. I want to mention that uh, Daryl Van Scowen of the Sun-Times just tweeted – Mike Clevenger is also expected to talk today. Oh. So it is going to be Rick Hahn in like an hour and a half. I think it was originally 1215. It looks like it's going to be 1245 our time that Rick Hahn is expected to speak. But it's going to be Rick Hahn and Mike Clevenger is expected to talk, So, which raises the question. I wonder, maybe, maybe some sort of resolution or news of a resolution of investigation might not come from MLB. Is that possible? I think they have to be the ones deciding. Is it, Once they put it in their hands, they're the ones, I think, who have to make a decision. Would MLB let him talk if if they weren't able to say today or something? like they? Well, they, the Padres let him talk the whole time he was under investigation. True. I guess that's they just true. Didn't, we just didn't know that he was under investigation at the time. I, I guess you're right. It just seems very strange. Maybe they figure they get it all out of the way today. <sighs> White Sox, never uh, never a dull moment. We're going to talk Cubs next. Megan Montemuro covers the Cubs for the Chicago Tribune, and she's writing about a new possibility at third base. What about? <laughs> Nick Madrigal. I don't know why everyone's always so interested in him and why people are. I, I don't get it. He's always trending on Twitter for some reason. I'm not upset about people caring about someone. I just don't get it. They so, just Maybe they just care. Maybe. They, they, they just have big hearts. That's what it is. We're inching closer to the... I'll probably end up saying... The nuclear option opinion. <laughs>
She's going to join us next on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Cody Suzy signed. He was here the next day hitting in the cage, working with DK. Wow. I mean, yeah, like these guys are hungry, man. And uh, there's a lot of guys out to prove stuff. There's guys that are, you know, just signed contracts and coming to new teams. Um, there's guys that are really excited to put on the Cubs uniform and, and help this team win, help bring a championship back to Wrigley Field. Rossi is excited. And Jed Hoyer was as well today. The Cubs are projecting a newfound confidence in what they're doing, having added to their roster and engineered some arms and covering the Cubs all year for the Tribune. And here to talk about them now is Megan Montemuro, who is on Twitter at M underscore Montemuro. She's with us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Megan, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. What are your takeaways from what you heard from Jed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing that is kind of a common theme so far uh, today, first first official day of camp is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of optimism. I think there is upside when you look at the roster. Um, you know, there's some potential when you look at the lineup. Uh, and obviously that means you're, you're having to get the best out of some guys in bounce back seasons from a Cody Bellinger um, and Eric Hosmer, you know, that kind of group. Um, but you have more talent on this roster than last year. You have more starting pitching depth, you know, which was tested early last season and really didn't hold up uh, because of injuries. And so I, I think the, the main takeaway is this roster is in a better spot coming into spring than they were a year ago. I also think it's interesting, Megan, that Jed Hoyer didn't uh, have the same sort of approach as far as his extension talks. You know, this time last year we're – wondering what's going to happen to Wilson Contreras. Ian Happ is who I'm thinking of right now. And it sounds like he had a different take there as well as far as doing business. Yeah, he's kind of made clear over the offseason that he does not want contract extension talks um, to ideally carry into to spring, but certainly as the season draws closer and opening day uh, gets here, that he does not want it leading into the season. Um, and so while he didn't offer any you know, hard stopping point of any potential conversations for, you know, a guy like Ian Happ or, or Nico Horner would make sense to extend. Um, you know, there is some openness on the Cubs side to to let the lines of communication on c- contract extensions talks uh, continue for the next couple weeks. But he did make clear that at some point, um, you know, that window will close. He does not want that to become a distraction, citing um, seeing that happen in, in previous years. So it'll be interesting to 
see what happens in the next two to three weeks. No more infield shifting bases half again as or bigger than they were before and a clock on the pitchers. As you have been talking with baseball people uh, with the the implementation of these rules together, what are you hearing about what were the unintended consequences the teams may be preparing for? Well, I, you know, I think that's one thing where, um, you know, people aren't necessarily 100% sure what the ripple effect will be until you see all these things in action. Um, granted, it'll be spring training games to start. Um, but, but I think one of the more interesting elements will be the pitch clock um, and the rules about, you know, the pickoffs and how, much, how many times the pitcher can, can step off the mound um, in an inning because that really impacts gameplay and strategy, knowing that you can only throw over there a number of times. You can only step off and get the signs resent to you from the catcher a limited number of times. And so I think it's going to be really interesting how that tests the mental side of pitchers um, and the way they're able to adjust. And then when it comes to the pitch clock, um, you know, having talked to, you know, people with the Cubs over the last couple of months is, you know, is testing short-term stamina now for pitchers because you, you can't have that extra time to collect yourself between pitches. You have to, uh, be prepared to, you know, throw another pitch quickly. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects uh, pitchers, starting pitchers in particular, um, in those middle innings. And if you if you start to see more signs of uh, fatigue and stamina issues, um, especially early in the season, as guys are still getting built up. We've talked a lot, Megan, about the infield. I know there's an update on Nico Horner. We're also desperately trying to figure out what is going to happen at third base. What can you tell us about both? Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting spot. Um, So Nick Madrigal has been taking ground balls there. Andy Green, uh, you know, flew down to Arizona and and trained with him for a week during the offseason to help him, you know, learn the nuances of third base. Uh, because it's a position that, you know, according to Madrigal, he can only think of having played maybe an inning during a high school showcase game at third. So it's a, it's a completely different element over there. So you have him in the mix. Obviously, Patrick Wisdom, they know what he can do, um, his strengths and weaknesses, you know, especially in the lineup. Uh, and then you have also some utility guys. You have a guy, Zach McKinstry, who they got a glimpse, glimpse of last year and obviously saw some things they liked to keep him on the 40-man through the offseason. And then you have Crystal, Christopher Morrell, who, whose energy has always really been a boost for that team. Um, you know, maybe you see him get some time in center field if you, if you give Bellinger a day off or play him at first, um, Bellinger. And so it's going to be really interesting. I could te- definitely see a platoon mix-and-match situation um, and that's really going to be the spot where David Ross can can try to optimize the lineup for what he wants on a given day. Have you asked about what outfield shifting can be done or what the Cubs may plan to do beyond what, uh, what the infield shifting had been in the past? Because you can still move guys around. I mean, you can still bring your left fielder over to that side. The spray charts are still spray charts, and you can still have people standing in certain areas and or racing over to those spots after the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. Where, where do you think some of the market inefficiencies are in the new rules in that regard? Yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk to David Ross yet. He'll talk to us after today's workout. But I think one thing, when you look at that outfield, 
Um, you know, Ian Happ really came into his own in left field, getting to play there every day. Cody Bellinger, you know, gold glove center fielder who has a ton of range, can cover the gaps. And then you have Suzuki, who, you know, won gold gloves in Japan, um, should be better acclimated out there this year. So you have guys that can potentially cover a lot of ground out there. So it will be interesting to see if they do for certain hitters, for left-handed hitters maybe in particular, um, if they use a Bellinger and, and shade him in certain ways because of maybe how much uh, ground he can cover with his range. So it's going to be interesting to see how aggressively they do that versus maybe, you know, playing, playing the outfield as they normally would. Um, and I, I think it especially helps when you look at their infield and the way that they've been able to improve infield defense um, up the middle, obviously, by bringing in, in Swanson. I mean, it just is going to make that whole unit, infield and outfield together, just so much stronger. There's only one video that I saw, but Seiya Suzuki looks absolutely yoked. Did, did, does he look that way to you? Yes. Well, we were watching uh, <laughs> batting practice yesterday, and it was, like, windy, cold, a little rainy. And there were, there were a couple where, like, it looked like he didn't get much of it, kind of golfed it, and it went flying out of the ballpark to left field. I mean, he, he definitely has bulked up. Um, you know, it was certainly an emphasis after the season, um, you know, talking to him at the end of the season and, and what Hoyer said today, you know, focusing on his diet and, and taking lessons from just the grind of a major league season and, and getting used to a travel schedule and, and how you could be playing, you know, nine or 10 consecutive days in a row, you know, potentially on a, on a three city road trip and just what that does to your body. And so clearly that was a focal point for him in the off season. And, and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how he starts out of the season. And um, because, you know, he can, he can really be a huge part of that lineup. We understand Jed Hoyer also gave some updates on pitching health, Cody Hoyer, Kyle Hendricks. What was said there? Yeah. So Cody Hoyer still, building back up, coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, they're going to decide whether or not to put him on a, on a 60 day IL, um, you know, which gives them two months more to prepare and build up. They, they've been taking a more conservative uh, plan of uh, a return to schedule for, for a guy like Cody Hoyer and Ethan Roberts, who's also coming back from Tommy John. Um, they really want to make sure that they're fully healthy. And then Kyle Hendricks, um, you know, it's, it, it, basically planning that he will not be ready for the start of the season as he continues to build up and continue his rehab process from his capsular tear in his right shoulder um, that he sustained last summer. Um, But, you know, as I mentioned before, they they have the depth where, you know, you can survive maybe a few weeks without somebody of Hendricks caliber in the rotation. But obviously if if you're the Cubs, you, you want all your guys healthy. Megan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Enjoy some sunshine. I heard it rained last night, but I think you'll get some soon, right? Yes, hopefully. (laughs) Thanks, Megan. We appreciate it. Megan Montemurro of the Chicago Tribune covers your Cubs. And I pick up the paper today, and there is more Nick Madrigal. Uh, We had to ask the question. I know. We got to figure out what's happening at third base. Forever and ever. Amen. It's probably mostly wisdom. Right? I... Until it's not, I think. And we talked to him about it. It seemed like he felt like he he was going to be the, the primary guy. You can't play. I thought he was going to platoon with with uh, Hosmer at first, though. Yeah, but then Mancini showed up. I don't know. Oh, so, yeah, right? Mancini. Remember, he's there. The so. Cubs slogan this year for the roster is Cubs. 
We have a lot of dudes. Yeah, we got this guy and that guy and another guy. And you've guy. heard of them. Yeah. We got, just got to figure out how to put them all together. Yeah, they got they got a lot of dudes. They got a lot of flow. They got a lot of handsome. They're going to be they'll be good good calendar team this year. I don't know how many games they're going to win. See if they're going to overcome their their 77 win projection. All right, we we were going to talk about the algorithm. We we're going to have hot algorithm talk on the score. <laughs> hot algorithm on algorithm action. So bad. <laughs> when we come back, nobody is, likes it. Not even people who created algorithms. It is. It is high noon. I have a cool update about an escaped animal that has been in this space before. So the headline grabbed me because it says, "What animal kills the most humans?" Hot damn! I think I know the answer to that. It's not as sexy as you'd think. I think I know what it is. Such a buzzkill. You still need to hear it anyway to save your life and stuff. Okay. Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? High noon on Wednesday is important. That means it's all downhill from here for the rest of the work week. And you say, well, Your life. it's a Layla Rahimi Wednesday. Where's Lawrence? Well, Lawrence is off today, but it's fine. It's still the Bernstein and Holmes show. And we started by. Talking about pitchers and catchers reporting, and we heard from Jed Hoyer. We are awaiting to hear what Rick Hahn has to say, and apparently Mike Clevenger is going to talk. We don't know the facts of this case. It is immensely frustrating to not know what they know about why he is on the White Sox in good standing. Maybe within an hour and a half, we will know more. Mike Florio talked football. We uh, we had an airing of grievances regarding the Bulls, and Megan Montemurro had Cubs insights. I can't wait for you to hear about Nick Madrigal all season because Stop people it. care. It's fantastic. It makes me happy. And frankly, is one of those just like quintessential sports questions where you just want to know where people end up. Why do you like him? Why it's, do you care about him and just, think he's good? Because you care about people on the team. But he's he's so, I don't know. We'll get into the arguing about arguing about this. The question is, what animal kills the most humans? Cow. No. Hippo. Hippo's on the list. 500 deaths per year. Do not underestimate the hippo. They're very cute, but they're also very fast, but they're teeny ears. Tsetse fly. You're on to this. You're on to something there. Mosquito. Bingo. Mosquitoes, I for sure thought would be the pandemic starter. I was completely wrong. It was bat. But you know what? Bats eat mosquitoes. So was I wrong? We'll never really know the answer to that question. I hate mosquitoes with a burning passion. I also have O blood type and 80s ejecti, which carry all the diseases. Love me. Y'all know how I'm dying. Mosquitoes carry many threatening diseases <laughs> like chicken guna, dengue, lymphatic Villariasis? I haven't even heard of that. That's one I haven't even heard of. Rift Valley fever, yellow fever, Zika, malaria, Japanese encephalitis, West Nile fever. Other insects like fleas, lice, and ticks also transmit similar diseases. Don't forget exploding penis syndrome, which is the worst one. You get that one bite and that you don't want that. That That's really nasty. I can make so many jokes here. I'm not going to make any of the jokes, but I have the jokes in my head. Syndrome isn't what I would call that. Something about the Rihanna Crisis. performance. Yes. Freshwater snails kill 200,000 people a year. What? Yeah, man. We've been underestimating things this whole time. Freshwater snails? 200,000. That snail, 
They're not so silly looking now, are they? They look like death. Are these like super fast ones that chase you down and, and eat? What, like, is this some sort of toxin? If there's one lesson we've learned this week, right, it's it. that nobody suspects the slow, like subtle thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like those balloons just hanging out there. If you're hearing me right now, balloons, I'm really sorry. Welcome to America. This is my broadcast. Saw scaled Viper, 138,000 deaths per year, specifically the saw scaled Viper. Something called assassin bugs. They kill 10,000 people a year. 10,000 really assassin bugs? I feel like you're not living up to your name. There is no way snails kill 200,000 people a year. This is in a reputable paper. Absolutely the not. The same one that employs Bob Nightingale. There's no way that's true. Scorpions, 2,600. You're not so scary now. Yes, scorpion. And members of the scorpions. They're, they're dangerous, too. That's that's an actual band. German actually, hair metal. Yep. Something, I can't pronounce it. A Ceres? Roundworms? Roundworms, 2,500. That's only 100 less than scorpions. We're really underestimating roundworms. These numbers seem way too high. Saltwater crocodiles. You know how they look all scary? They're only killing 1,000 people a year. Well... I mean, violently. Yeah, it's pretty probably pretty bad. Like, elephants, you know, 500 yeah. deaths per year. Yep. But you have to ask yourself what you did to upset the elephant. Like that one that came to the wedding and they went to the woman's funeral and beat her up again and trampled other people? And then I was like, why is this elephant so mad? And then I was like, because oh, they never forget. So that's on you. Hippopotamus, 500. We're really underestimating the snails. <laughs> Who's favorite of the hippopotamus 500 this year? Aren't you the one who cheated at Hungry Hungry Hippos? Yes, yes, I did. The floor kind of sloped. That is really messed up. Dad, you're really good at Hungry Hungry Hippos. It's the, the green hippo must be better. No, no, no. Let's let's, let's turn it. I'll, I'll play a different hippo. Can somebody tell me what assassin bugs are, please? I would just like to know. How many does a saw-scaled viper kill a year? 138,000. No, there's no way that's true. Why is that not true? Because it would be a much bigger story. Maybe I'll tell you what nobody's talking about. <laughs> Saw-scaled vipers and freshwater snails. It's the McCaskies that kill a thousand people a year. They don't know that. <laughs> the McCaskey family's responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths of people each year. I'm a hundred percent convinced. No, like nobody told Kevin Warren about that, and that's why he took the job. Right, right. Wait a if sec, they what? had told what? Kevin Warren about those people, <laughs> he'd have been like, this? "Nah." Why did I get this memo? Wow, that's gonna be a tough job. Like, <laughs> you know, somebody sent him a piece of mail, like actual mailed mail, and it was like, "Do you know who you're working for?" <laughs> Like professional Kevin Warren, mover of media markets. Snails. Jim, Snails. Jimber Flacco the Owl. Flacco the Owl was... Was he a skinny owl? He was at the Central Park Zoo. No, this was the, the Eurasian eagle owl. But Flacco is skinny. Well, Flacco is... Uh, he, he's a Eurasian eagle owl, and his exhibit was vandalized February 2nd, and he flew off. And he's been spotted in and around Central Park. He's been easy to find. He hasn't gone very far. He's been in Central Park. But everybody in charge of the zoo was worried because they said Flacco is not going to survive in the wild. Flacco doesn't have the flying skill. Flacco has never hunted. The scouting report on Flacco is bleak. Because Flacco is is a, a, a domesticated owl that had never hunted and didn't really understand how to find prey. Well, guess what? Flacco learned how to putt. Flacco figured it out. 
Yeah! Flotko figured it out. Instincts. So there was a whole lot of concern that, that he wouldn't survive. But the zoo wrote in a statement several days ago, we observed him successfully hunting, catching, and consuming prey. We have seen a rapid improvement in his flight skill and ability to confidently maneuver around the park. A major concern at the beginning was whether he would be able to hunt and eat. That is no longer a concern. The New York Times reported Flacco had cast a pellet of animal matter. That's what uh, the raptors will do that every once in a while. It looks like they're throwing up, but what they're doing is their body is getting rid of what they can't digest. Yeah, we dissect them in school. Sure. It's bones and, and fur and things, and they checked the pellet, and it was rat fur and rat bones. So... Flacco's eating rats. Flacco's eating rats. That's He's helping New York and hanging out in the park. And if you and if and I think I sent you this video one time. I've mentioned it before. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, look up just New York red tail hawks and New York Cooper's hawks and what they do to get rats and where they go in the middle of Brooklyn, in the middle of the Upper West Side, into those metal garbage cans. Like we'll get them in the garbage cans and come out with them. Are they for hire? Can we talk to them? They're, hey, they're doing their Can jobs we bring here. Them around they, here. They're here. They're doing their jobs. You see it. You see, there, there's red tails. There's Cooper talks. There's owls all over Chicago. I all know. over I the en- place eating rats. I enjoy them, but still, I feel like we could use a few more. Oh, this is a good nugget from eight one five. The parasites that cause another word I can't read. Schistomyces live in certain types of freshwater snails. The infectious oh. form of the parasite, known as seriare, emerge from snail into the water. You can become infected when your skin comes in contact with contaminated fresh water. Okay, but it's not the, the you're not being killed by the snail. I mean, this credited the snail. The, the snail lobby is making sure they're credited for all of these deaths in contaminated water. If you were a snail, wouldn't you want people to know that you can kill people? Apparently, assassin bugs carry chaga disease. Oh, that's bad. Is it? Yeah, that's Sounds real like bad. It. Yeah. Dengue viruses, man. I for sure thought that that was going to be the thing that killed the most of us. And 708 says, it isn't just one saw-scaled viper doing all this damage. I bet it's at least three. <laughs> man, those are some bad hombres. And then, like, right underneath the informative text about parasites is this. Doesn't Flacco play the accordion for the Texas tornadoes? Fair question. The accordion guy's always the coolest-looking guy in the video, let's be honest. Think about that. Yeah, he's just chilling with the accordion. No, I like I like the mariachi guitar guy, like the big the big guitar, the the boom. boom oh yeah, boom, the heavy boom. like yeah, bottoms. Yeah, I, I like that guy. That guy's always the cool guy. If you want to hang out with a guy in the mariachi band, it's that guy. No, well mariachi, yes, but Tejano, give me the accordion. <laughs> That's high noon. Uh, we gotta figure out why. Jim Ursay is is flirting with us. Are you going to do the voice? You want me to? Yeah. Okay, I, I probably will because it's getting it's getting a little a little creepy. It's <laughs> next. Bears talk on the score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.